So John chapter 12, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Beginning in verse 1. No humming, please. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he, Jesus, had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a, a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and, and used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Note that. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And Father, we pray that as we Look at this account, Lord. I, I think for most of us gathered here today, we, we probably are very familiar with this. I mean, if we've been a follower of you, Lord, for any amount of time, we've read through the Gospels. We've probably read through them many, many times. But we pray, Father, that as we look at this portion of Scripture today, that we might be able to look at it with fresh hearts and fresh eyes and fresh minds, Lord and that you would give us life application. Father, we thank you for recording these things for us, for using these men, these different authors, Lord, Old and New Testament alike, who pin these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So teach us now, we pray, by that same Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you... Uh, look at the account, you look at the scriptures, and I think they're so intriguing. You know, there are many things that we don't know. And uh, I'm reminded of that as a follower of Jesus. Uh, the longer I live, the more I realize uh, how much I need to grow, how much I need to really glean from the word of God. I'm thankful that I'm not where I was when I first started walking with Jesus. I'm thankful for the many decades of studying the scriptures and reading the scriptures and prayerfully applying the scriptures to my life. But, but I know that we have, all of us have so, so far to go. You look at the account and we see, of course, a gathering, a dinner. Uh, they're gathered in Bethany. It's six days before the Passover. Jesus is there. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are there. They're mentioned in the text. Um, we know that the disciples were there. At least Judas is mentioned, and we know from other, the, the other gospel accounts that the other uh, 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 disciples were there. 
There might have been other women there. There might have been other people from that community that might have been there. It might have been a full house full of people when these things took place. And so they are going to have a dinner. They, they I, I think, personally, though it doesn't say it, I, I think it's safe to conclude that they wanted to do this for Jesus, to show their gratitude to Jesus. You know, something that irks me, I probably shouldn't start off with something that irks me, personally, but, but it does irk me because I, I don't understand it, the lack of gratitude. You know, I think, you know, my parents were not believers, and yet they raised me in the way I think most kids my age were raised, and that is, please and thank you. You know what I mean? You, you, you express uh, your gratitude to somebody. You show it, not just in words, but you show it in your actions as well. And we, that's something we need to be very, very careful of because, you know, when you look at the Old Testament, we see a time in Israel's history when they were being disciplined by the Lord, when they were under punishment by God himself because they were not thankful. You think, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal to God. They were not thankful. And we need to be a people who are thankful. And I think that's what they were doing. I think, I think that they were expressing their gratitude. We see, we see uh, Lazarus, he's sitting at the table with Jesus. And you almost want to say, where else would he be? I mean, he just experienced a resurrection after being four days dead, you know, laid in a tomb, and, and now he's alive. Where else would you want to be? I'd want to be right next to Jesus, sitting right next to And that's where we find Lazarus. And then we find Martha. She's serving. And, and that shouldn't surprise us as students of the word because that's, that's what Martha did. According to Luke's gospel account, remember the occasion when Jesus was in the house on an earlier occasion and, and Martha was serving and she was frustrated because there was, there was so much that needed to be done, and she needed her sister's help, and her sister was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she got irritated with her sister. Remember that? That's what she did. She served. And then, of course, we see Mary, and we see her where we see her in the scriptures on three occasions. In fact, Mary of Bethany is only mentioned three times in the Bible, and the three times that she's mentioned, she is seen at the feet of Jesus which is something to take note of. So there they are. And then Mary takes this pound of very costly oil. You look at this and you say, okay, it's a bit confusing when you read the, the gospel accounts. We know that Jesus was anointed by a woman. She was referred to by the host. Remember, that was at a house, the house of Simon the Pharisee. Jesus was invited. This woman comes into the house, most likely the courtyard of the house, and she begins to anoint Jesus. And remember how Simon the Pharisee, he was all uptight, and he said, man, if this, if this man was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. She was obviously a notorious or known sinner in that area. And remember that Jesus took the opportunity, you know, he just kind of let her do what she did, and then he addressed Simon the Pharisee. I came into your house, you did not wash my feet. 
I came into your house. You did not offer me a kiss on the cheek. You, you did not do anything hospitable. I mean, that's commonly, you know, expected at that time in that culture. You did none of those things. And yet this woman comes in and she's, you know, she's, she's wiping her, my feet with her tears, you know, so there's the foot wash that I get and, and the anointing, you know, and, and so you look at that account and you say, yeah, most likely that took place earlier in Jesus' ministry. And most likely it took place maybe, maybe in the Galilee someplace. But then you have, you have Mark's account. Mark, I say Mark because Mark really is the, the oldest of the gospel accounts. But you have Matthew, you have Mark. And, and most uh, Bible teachers, commentators, believe that those two definitely go together that Matthew and Mark were definitely recording the same event. Now, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? We have, we have four references in the four gospel accounts to Jesus being anointed. And the one, Luke's account, definitely stands out. There's no way you could throw that in. And yet there are some that say Jesus was anointed one time, one time, and all four gospel writers record that. You know, you got a bit of, of a problem with that. If, if Simon the Pharisee was Simon the leper, then why in the world was Simon the Pharisee so rude to Jesus? Because we don't get any indication that there was rudeness on this particular occasion when Mary opened up her flask or her precious oil, and began to anoint his feet. Some say Jesus was anointed three times. He was anointed by the unnamed sinful woman in Simon the Pharisee's house. He was anointed six days before the Passover by Mary of Bethany. And then she was, uh, he was uh, anointed two days before Passover by the woman, the unnamed woman mentioned in Matthew and Mark. I know you're thinking right now, does this really even matter? It does matter as Bible students. I'm constantly saying, this seems to be my mantra, my ministry mantra, and that is the word of God is not boring. If we think the word of God is boring, we're not going to open it. We're not going to read it. We're not going to study it. We're going to be like so many Christians who say, of course I believe the Bible is God's word. Do you read it? Nope. I mean, it's so foolish to even say something like that. It's embarrassing to say something like that. But as students of the Word of God, we could read the Scriptures. We could see that there were similarities between the anointing that Matthew mentioned and, and Mark mentioned and John mentioned. The fact that there was protest to the anointing of Jesus. Matthew tells us that the disciples began to protest. Mark tells us that it was some of the disciples protested. John tells us it was Judas Iscariot. And he gives us the reason why he protested. Um, we know that as the, the protester, Judas Iscariot, in John's account, uh, he says this could have been sold for 300 denarii. 300 denarii was about uh, a year's wage for a day laborer. So, Quite expensive, a day's wage for, uh, you know, a day labor or years. I said it right the first time. Anyway, some things I shouldn't try to do again. So you have similarities, but you have differences. 
at any rate. Here, I think it's worth noting, in John's Gospel account, it's very personal. John's account was written last of all of the Gospel accounts, and John is giving us details that maybe um, the readers of Matthew and Mark and Luke, maybe they wouldn't have appreciated as much. John focuses in on Mary of Bethany. Mary, she, she worships the Lord. You say, why do you say she's worshiping the Lord? What else would she be doing? She's worshiping the Lord. She takes this fragrant oil and she breaks it open um, and she begins to apply it. If all three, Matthew, Mark, and John, are the same, she began to apply it on the head of Jesus. And the oil began to run down his face and his beard and onto the floor or onto his feet. We know that eventually, according to John's gospel account, she gets to his feet, she anoints his feet, and she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, I said to the first service, and I'll say it again to you guys, that it's a shame that we live in such a perverse culture. Because there are so many things that we even read in scripture that can become perverted in our own minds if we're not careful. We could look at this, this act of Mary and we could say, boy, that was kind of sensual. That was sexual. Was it? Really? We need to be so careful. In fact, when we read the scriptures or we're singing a worship song or, and some perverse thing comes into our mind, you know what we need to do? We need to immediately renounce that thing and say, oh, Lord, forgive me for thinking of such perverse things. This was a beautiful act. She begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. And as she anoints the feet of Jesus, the text tells us that the house was filled with the fragrance of Mary's worship. The whole house began to smell like her hair and Jesus' feet. Beautiful. Again, culturally, it might not fly in our culture today, but at that time, I'm not saying it was normal. It was surely un unusual, unique, different. But there was something beautiful happening here. And this is a question I wonder when I read the text, and I'm asking you kind of a hypothetical question or questions, and it's just simply thinking through the text. I'm not, I don't want to read into the text. I don't want to assume anything. But you wonder, as Judas begins to protest, have you ever known people like that? I've known people, there's a lot of people like that in churches. You know, they like to sound really righteous. They always kind of have the right thing to say. And some people, you know, they're kind of taken by, oh, wow, that was heavy. Oh, man, you know. Good word, Judas, you know. Until Jesus steps in and mildly, in John's account, rebukes him. Let her alone. Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Here's a question. Did Mary of Bethany know? No. Knew. Did she know that she had kept this for his burial? Or was she surprised to hear that she had kept this for his burial? You say, what are you talking about, Dan? 
John chapter 12, same chapter. Next week, we'll look briefly at the triumphal entry of Jesus. Triumphal entry of Jesus. They're fulfilling Bible prophecy. They're fulfilling Psalm 118. They're fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. They're fulfilling Bible prophecy. And John tells us in his account, let me read the verse to you. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. The point? They didn't know what they were doing until later. Until later, and then they realized, and then they could appreciate what they had done for Jesus. You wonder, what were they thinking at the, at the moment, at the time? Were they just kind of caught up emotionally in the whole thing, and, and they're doing these things, and they're fulfilling scripture, and they're not even thinking of, of Psalm 118, or, or Zechariah 9.9, or, or any other scriptures, uh, Daniel chapter uh, 9. They weren't even thinking of that. They were just simply doing what they felt like doing in the moment. But then, that w- once Jesus was glorified, he ascends to heaven, you know. He's no longer there. And then they begin to think about these things. They say, oh, we didn't see it then. We didn't understand it then. We didn't appreciate it then. Because our understanding was limited. Another example, same chapter. Certain Greeks, they come to Philip. Why'd they come to Philip? Well, because Philip, his name is Greek. Because there's really some very common sense stuff in the scriptures, you know, and and things really begin to make sense as you study the scriptures. But they come to Philip, and they said to Philip, Sir, we wish to see Jesus, verse 21 of chapter 12. And then Jesus responded in verse 24, kind of the second part of that, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain, much grain. Now, I bet those Greeks walked away scratching their heads, had no idea what Jesus was speaking of until later. Later. Later there would have been insight. Later there would have been understanding. Later there would have been the, the, um, the enlightened uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, when the Holy Spirit came upon those that were gathered and they would understand things and they would appreciate them so much more. Think of your own life, guys. You live your life. None of us rarely are are recognizing things in the moment. You know, I'm going through this. This is happening. I met that person. Isn't that interesting? What a coincidence. Da, 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 da. And then later on, later on, you could look back and say, wow, that was the hand of God. I didn't see it at the time, but it's so apparent now that that was the hand of God moving upon my life. Did Mary know that she was anointing Jesus, anointing Jesus for his burial, or was she surprised when Jesus said this? Did she know that she kept this fragrant oil, costly oil, year's wage oil for a common day laborer for that day? Did she know it? Or was it spontaneous? Was her worship spontaneous? She didn't really give much thought to it. Maybe she did give thought to it. Maybe she thought, I'm going to use this tonight or today at the meal. I don't know. But what if she did know? 
I'm not suggesting she did know, but I'm saying, what if she knew? Bible students, I'm speaking to you. Some people, they probably don't feel comfortable being called a Bible student because so many people who go to churches are spectators. But, you know, Jesus never called spectators. He called disciples. He makes disciples, students, students of the master. Chronologically, up to this point, Jesus had said to his disciples on a number of occasions, at least three times, that, he would, that they were going up to Jerusalem, he would be betrayed into the hands of men, and that they would kill him, and the third day he would rise again. Did he say that secretly? Did he whisper that? Did his words kind of drop off into a mumble as he spoke these things? There's no indication. In fact, it seems as if he spoke it very clearly, and you almost get the impression when you read the accounts that the disciples probably looked him in the eyes and probably nodded their head and said, yep, got you, Lord. And yet we, we read the scriptures and we're so surprised that once Jesus was betrayed and taken and killed and, and in the tomb for three days and raised on the third day, we find it so strange that his disciples were surprised by it. But you know why? Because we live in the until later. See, we have insight that they didn't have. What is clear to us was foggy at best to them. And yet, here Mary, she's hearing these things. You know, guys, we saw it last week. Do you remember? John's trying to show us something if we're paying attention. John showed us last week that God could use a cold-hearted, indifferent, high priest named Caiaphas, who cared little for the honor of God and much for the honor of himself and his, you know, sphere, his group, that God could use a man like him to speak prophetically of the fact that this is a good thing, that Jesus would die for the nation. He speaks it. What did you just say, Caiaphas? I have no idea what I just said. No idea. What did he just say? I'm not sure what he said. It doesn't make any sense to us now until later. Later it would make sense. Don't you think, guys, think of this. We need the reassurance because many times, you know, we share the gospel with people. And nowadays it seems like people's hearts are so cold, indifferent to the Lord. They've been brainwashed. Sadly, many of us have, have sent our children to schools and they have began brainwashing them from kindergarten all up. And we shouldn't be surprised that they have this, this unreasonable indifference toward God. Don't be surprised, parents. We're setting them into the lion's den on many occasions. And we, we don't realize that they're being brainwashed. We knew it with our oldest when there were certain agendas that were pushed in his math class, his history class, his science class, and you think, what in the world? Why are you even talking about these particular topics? They have nothing to do with the uh, uh, you know, topic of, of, of the class. You know? But it was an agenda. Anyway, 
They didn't understand. She did these things. Was she the only one listening? Was she the one who caught it when Jesus said that, you know, these things were going to happen to him? I think it's worth noting that Mary of Bethany did not go to the tomb on the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you remember why the ladies went to the tomb on the morning that Jesus was resurrected? They went there not to see if the tomb was empty. They went there to anoint the body for burial. That's why they went there. Mary of Bethany, she only lived two miles away from where the tomb was, maybe less. Why didn't she show up? Did she know somehow that he wasn't going to be there? I'm playing with you a little bit, but I'm doing it so that we might think of, you know, these things, and we might ponder these things, and we might consider the fact that God wants us to understand things. He wants us to see things. That God doesn't keep us in the dark. I think there are so many people, sadly, we are willfully ignorant. You know what? I'm willfully ignorant about a lot of things because I really don't care much about them. I, I really don't. I, I, I worked at a, a job one time for about six months. I did not like the job. I, in fact, I hated the job. It was in Santa Barbara. It was for an alarm company. And if you work for an alarm company, I'm not saying anything negative, but it was just for me, it just my mind in order. I was a carpenter by trade, and, and the wires and all of this, and you know the board and the panel and all of this stuff. And it, I, just, I didn't like it. The only thing that was interesting is going into these extremely wealthy people's homes. Uh, Kenny Loggins and Jim Messina, we went into their homes, and Jim Messina would always call because he couldn't figure out how to use the system, and so people would have to go out there and help him with that. And John Travolta, and um, you know, people that are known, and us, also people that are unknown to most of us, but obviously extremely, extremely wealthy. And so we would put these alarm systems in their homes, and but I didn't like it. And I remember my boss, I had uh, met with him. I, I got another job from someone at the church. Uh, Tim DeKaya, his father owned a wholesale nursery, not babies, but plants, out in Goleta. And um, he said, hey, Danny, um, my dad's looking to hire, you know, are you happy at your job? And I said, no, I'm not, you know. Uh, I'd love to come and work, you know, because I had done landscaping when I was in high school and everything. And I said, I'd, I'd love to do that. And I remember meeting with my boss at the, at the, uh, the security company, and I remember he said to me, you just start picking this up, you know, I'm not surprised you want to leave. He said, and then he went on to kind of give the, you know, rah-rah speech, you know. He says, not everyone could be a quarterback. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't even want to play on this team. <laughs> it's not about being a quarterback. I don't want to be on this team, you know. And he just thought it was a foolish thing that I would go and work for a wholesale nursery that had no promise. Oh man, I could tell you stories about the wholesale nursery because the owner of the wholesale nursery, George Takaya, Japanese man, obviously, who had been in the camps, you know, during the war here in the States, born here in the United States, but had the tattoo, and, and yet this man loved the Lord Jesus with all of his heart. I had never, ever met 
in my life, I think before then and, and up to this point, a man that was truly, truly humble, not just faking it, you know, not just kind of keeping his, you know, but truly, truly humble. And, and when he would speak to me and correct me, man, it was like, you know, because I worked around carpenters. They'd cuss you out and push you and, you know, hey, let's go, you know, drop your bags and that type of stuff, you know. And, and yet it was nothing like when George would call me in, like, like the time we were working at Raytheon. Yes, the same Raytheon that you're thinking of. And I was going one way, opposite direction, down a one-way road, and the stranger, I had never seen him before, stopped me and said, what are you doing? This is one way. I said, well, it's, it's hard to get out on the boulevard, and it's just quicker for me to go through here. And he just says, no, I, don't do that. Don't do that anymore. You can't do that. And a cocky young guy, young Christian, I looked at him. I said, who do you think you are? George told me who he was. He was one of the presidents at Raytheon, or the vice presidents at Raytheon. And, um, and George, I remember as he sat me down and he said, you know, Dan, how do you think you could have dealt with that differently? And, and I'm a grown man, and I began to weep because I had never had someone rebuke, I mean, not threaten me, not say, you're, you're done, man, you're out of here. Just speak to me, and it was just, oh, so humbling, so humbling. Anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Mary, I get off track. She has this costly oil of spikenard. Do you know that there are many Bible commentators, teachers that believe that this could have been, because there's no indication that they were wealthy people, this could have been her dowry. That's something that doesn't really fit into our culture. You know, in our culture, well, I guess it's beginning to. People do these prenups and everything, you know. I, I, I always thank uh, couples that do the prenups and the, your account and my account. That's that is a faulty foundation. It's a foundation built upon, I don't really trust you. So just in case this whole thing goes south. Have I made any enemies yet? You know, It's something to consider. I mean, if we're really in it, let's be in it. Let's trust the Lord. You might not be able to trust the person, but trust the Lord with your life. But anyway, this might have been her dowry. This might have made her more... Wanted. Doesn't that sound so shallow to say that? I know we're all emotional here in the United States of America and love and true love and truly true love exists, you know. I truly love my wife and uh, I'm so glad for her. But at that time, in that culture, what would the wife bring to the table? Well, she had this dowry, this expensive oil that was worth a year's wages, but not anymore. When she broke it, not anymore. Mary, is there a big plastic bag up there? I'd like to put the rest of this in. No, not anymore. She lavished it upon the Lord. In fact, her, her worship, it was, it, it, was, it was public, but it wasn't showy. It was... Seemingly spontaneous, it was sacrificial. She lavished it upon, it was personal, it was genuine. It was costly. It was like the gift, 
you know, like David, when, when he brought, bought the threshing floor, you know, he's not going to give the Lord anything which does not cost him, or cost him nothing, 2 Samuel 24, 24. And that was Mary. You say, oh, she was just being emotional. You know, sometimes emotions can get in the way. We, um, when we were at Calvary Chapel, Grass Valley, and we were there for about 10 years, um, we had a, a fellow that helped out with the worship. He played stand-up bass. And, um, and so one Sunday, and it wasn't like this was a normal thing at our church at Calvary Chapel, Grass Valley, but one Sunday after worship, uh, the fellow just kind of spontaneously began to speak. And it was apparent that it was prophetic. It was a prophecy. And he began to speak, and it was so sweet and so genuine. It was just nice, you know. Until the next week, it happened again. And then the week after that, again. And then it got to the point, you know, where the worship stops and everyone just kind of looks over at the guy on the bass because they know he's got a word for the congregation. And then our leadership went to him and said, you know, brother, we believe that what happened the first time, it was genuine, but man, you're just, you're like trying to make something happen. You just keep pushing this thing. And of course, he got offended and he said, you're quenching the spirit. And he went down the street to the Foursquare Church that was allowing that stuff. See, it wouldn't have been so sweet if every time Mary was around Jesus, she broke out a flask of oil and said, I'm doing it again, Lord. Here it is. I'm just showing how much I love you and everything. You know, there are some people that move that way. Everything's kind of an emotional thing. I think that Mary was probably emotional when she was doing this. I think it was, it's an emotional thing to worship the Lord, to thank the Lord. Men and women, many times we break down in tears when we just consider the goodness of God. That's a beautiful thing. But if we're trying to make something happen, we're pushing it. Then it becomes, why are you doing this? Is this really for the Lord or is it for... A number of years ago, someone brought a fellow into my office. It was during the summer, I remember it was warm. And uh, he came in and he said, uh, I'm here to bless you. I thought that was an odd way to say it, you know. I, um, I said, oh, wonderful. How are you going to do that? And he says, I'm here to bless your congregation. So now we're getting a little, you know. Okay, how are you going to do that? I got some songs that I'm going to share. And I said, oh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, thank you for the offer, but we have our worship, and, you know, they, they're prepared for this, and we don't really, we're not going to do, like, special songs or anything. We, we kind of have an agenda. You know, we're, we're going through the Word of God, and so we kind of have our things. And he said, I was baptized by Pastor Chuck. And I looked at him, and I laughed. He says, what are you laughing about? And I said, brother, I don't know you. I don't know your name. And do you really expect me to be impressed because you were baptized by Pastor Chuck? 
I mean, the more this fellow spoke, the more he revealed how shallow and, and, and emotional and, and, and limited his relationship with the Lord was. Because how many thousands of people were baptized by Pastor Chuck that are not walking with the Lord? I think this guy would have fallen into that category. And I just said, no, you're not going to do that. You know, thank you for the offer. And so what he did, which showed more of his motivation, he sat back there. Marielle was leading, so we didn't have the booming voice of Nehemiah accompanying Marielle. So he drowned out her voice sitting back there to make a point. Watch me. Do you see me? Look at me. I made sure I stood at the back door when he left, and I said, I guess you got your way. To my surprise, he called me the next day. He said, I am so sorry. I don't know what I was, I don't know what I was thinking. That was rude. You do not know me. I am embarrassed by my actions. I'll, I'll tell you, when someone approaches you like that, I mean, your heart just melts and you just say, oh, you're, no hard feeling, you know, I mean, wonderful, you know, because the Lord is speaking to him and revealing his heart and his motive and everything else. Guys, we need to be careful that when we worship the Lord, it should be spontaneous, it should be emotional, it should, but it should be thoughtful as well. Um, I'm telling these stories, but I was telling Tracy last night, there was a, a church that was going here for a number of years, and then it closed its doors. I don't know the reason why it closed its doors. And the pastor and his wife showed up here. I had met the pastor one time before, and I was just simply doing the teaching for the Sunday morning service, and the pastor and their wife, literally, their jaws were just kind of hanging. Almost like they were in some, like they were shocked by what was, hap what was coming from the pulpit. And, and I, you know, wanted to talk to them afterwards, and they jetted out, and it was just kind of a weird type of thing. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what were you shocked by? It's the word of God. Obviously, it's tainted with Dan's commentary or Dan's words or whatever. That's, you know, and, and maybe that's the thing that shocked them probably. It probably shocks you guys as well. But, but I just think to myself, guys, there should be, there should, there should not be a shock at the word of God. There should be this agreement within our hearts that, yes, you know what? Here's the fact of the matter. I'm speaking of myself now. I'm not right most of the time. Most of the time, I'm wrong. Most of the time, I feel something or think something, and it's not legitimate. It's not right. But my, my Lord loves me enough to speak to me in those moments. Sometimes it's not in the moment. It's rarely in the moment. Usually it's when I'm alone and I'm thinking, and it's almost as if the Lord, I know it's my own thoughts, but I, I believe that it's the Lord. He begins to just kind of, you know, Danny, when you said that, Maybe, not maybe, it's never a maybe with the Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Listen, do you know what that means? It doesn't mean that God is an ogre. It means that I belong to him. 
If you're never corrected by the Lord, you know what that means? You're an illegitimate child based upon what the writer of Hebrews tells us. In fact, sometimes I wonder if, if there's not correction in my life. I think, oh, Lord, you know, I, Lord, anything, you know, you want to bring to the surface, I'm ready, Lord. And it's not like he's busting our chops all the time. But here's the thing. If we desire to be more like him and, and to become truly his disciples and everything, according to the words of Jesus, the first thing that needs to go is us. That's the first thing. Deny yourself. Oh, what, Lord, come on. Because we love ourselves. We want to be predominant, predominant you know, in, in our lives. Mary, I know I'm, I, I'm belaboring this, but Mary, Mary, as, she, as she's doing this, it's, I, I don't think she cared that anyone was there, that anyone was seen. She doesn't address Judas. She doesn't say, Judas, leave me alone. She's preoccupied in what she's doing. She's so moved by that moment with the Lord. She has no idea that she's fulfilling Bible prophecy. Think of that. I didn't know I was anointing your body for burial. I didn't know that this was spoken of in the Old Testament. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. And here I'm playing my part. And I had no idea. She was criticized just like David was. Remember David when he danced before the ark? He was wearing his linen ephod. And people misunderstand that. And they say, well, David was in his underwear. He wasn't in his underwear. David had divested his, his royal garb, if you will, so that he might worship the king. And everyone seemed to be into it. Look at the king. He's so different than Saul. Saul, the man. Saul, the man that was concerned about himself only. Look at David. He's willing to be a fool for God's sake. Of course, he wasn't being a fool for God's sake. He was glorying in the fact that the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, when you understand the the significance of the Ark and how it had not been there and, and how they had tried it, you know, with the arm of the flesh and it failed and someone died because of that and how David was angry at God. Remember the whole account? He was angry at God because God struck the fellow, you know. And now this time, they're doing it the way God prescribed. And David is just so moved by this. And the people are moved. And he gives them bread and he sends them home. And, well, he says, now as the ark of the... The ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, Saul's daughter, who happened to be David's wife, looked through a window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Ridiculous. Judas, ridiculous. Why this waste? Michael, David's wife, ridiculous. Why this waste? You know, it's interesting to note that Michael was barren. She never had children. She never had fruit. There, there's kind of this release, you know, in our lives, worshiping the Lord. There's this release of, of, of God's blessing. Well, I'm going to end with this. You could come up, please. Verse 10, but the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. 
Lazarus, as long as he was walking around, breathing, he, <laughs> he became a reason for, for people to say, maybe I need to look into Jesus. Maybe I need to believe in Jesus. Hey, guys, we haven't been physically dead. I mean, maybe some of you had something where you had to be resuscitated or something, but, but, but we were spiritually dead. And as we're walking and breathing and living and we're, 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 to, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be kind of a living, breathing testimony of what God can do with all of our imperfections, but we're still that, you know. When I first got saved and I contacted all of my old friends through letter or phone or in person, and most of them would say the same thing to me. They would say, Danny, you've always been into spiritual things. Without saying it, what they were saying is, this too will pass. This too will pass. Sadly, that's true for a lot of people who profess to be followers of Jesus. This too will pass. It's passed. Where are they? I don't know where they are. They're not around any longer. But it ought not be that way. There might be some, maybe not in the room, maybe in the room, but there might be some that are listening online and and maybe they're thinking, you know, this guy, I tune in, I don't know why I tune into this guy, and, and he talks about Jesus, and boy, the way he talks about Jesus, it sounds like Jesus truly is amazing. And, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, you know, I'll, I'll come around to put in my faith in Jesus, but not until, not until later, until later. A lot of people think that way. You know, kind of sow your wild oats when you're young. You know what's tragic about that? There are so many people that have sown their wild oats, they don't have anything left in their head or their heart to receive Christ. It's so tragic. So tragic. I mean, it really is. It's so sad. But, but we don't know that we have tomorrow. We don't know that we have until later. And this is why, you know, Paul quoting Isaiah 49, he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus. Look at this world that we live in. Is there anything you could stake any confidence in? You know, you could build any, anything on. Finances, politics, you know, there's nothing in this world. It's like sinking sand all around us. And so you can turn to this, that, or the other, or you could turn to Jesus. You say, so what are you suggesting? Then all of our woes go away? No. But in Jesus, we have a different perspective, a different lens of looking at the things that we're dealing with in this world. Daniel said in the last days, that the wise will understand. Understand what? Understand what's happening in the world. Thank the Lord for the many who are paying attention to what's happening in the world and they're understanding the Lord is wrapping things up, time is coming to a close. These are the things that we've been warned of for a long time. Now we're seeing these very things. It's no accident that Israel is in the headlines right now, you know, 
because Israel is always in the headlines from God's perspective according to his word. It's a prophetic clock to tell us what time it is, you know. And so we need to be people who realize, Lord, I can't put you off. I, I, I want to believe in you. I want to place my faith. I acknowledge my sin. I want to live for you. And then to go in full bore. Full bore. Stand with me, please. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a people. If we claim to know you, that we would be people who seek you. There would be people who not only like to worship, but we like to study your word. Lord, we know that sometimes there's extremes on both sides. Some people, they never worship. Their nose is in your word, but there's never an outward expression of their gratitude to you. And then there's others, Lord, that kind of like the, the, the emotions of, of singing and worship and everything, but they're rarely in your word. And Lord, we know that when there's that, that beautiful mix of the two, when we're in your word, oh, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to serve you. We just want to, we want to ponder your word. We want to think about it. We want to express our gratitude by the way we live our lives, by our worship of you, Lord. Lord, you've done it all. We know that. But, Lord, you've still given us responsibility, and we pray that we would take on our part, that we'd be faithful to you until the end that we would heed the exhortations. There are many of them in your word, Lord. Many came directly from your mouth. We pray that we would heed those exhortations, take them seriously, and use us, Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, that our friends and family, our neighbors would be able to look at us and say, look what Jesus has done in that guy's life or that woman's life, and that they might be inspired to place their faith in you. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.